Okay, there we go. All right. Well, hello, Jennifer. Hello, Leslie. <laughs> I'm here with Jennifer, a friend, and um, I'm so delighted to just speak with you one-on-one -on -one and sort of hear how you got involved in all of this and, and what your thoughts are on stuff. And um, would you mind starting by just introducing yourself for, I mean, I'm sure people know your face and know you a little bit from the solid ground live streams, but a little bit yeah. more about you. Yeah. Just for anybody who doesn't know me yet, which I'm sure most people don't, I'm not, I'm not famous. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm Jennifer friend and I live uh, right outside Washington, DC in Virginia. Um, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker. And I got involved um, with the wonderful dissidents that I loved so much because where I was working um, had a very toxic DEI policy put in place. And I was working for Fairfax County government in the community services board as a mental health clinician and they launched, I think it was in 2017, they launched a policy called One Fairfax. And it was um, their, they call it their equity policy. And they, um, <laughs> it still makes me mad to talk about it. They, um, management asked us to read um, a bunch of resources that were really horrible and really specifically targeting and attacking white people and I objected to it um, in an email um, to the entire community services board and I also videotaped the um, the documents and posted them to YouTube and sent them to the local police because a lot of the materials were saying that we should abolish the police and saying that the police are racist and that they are basically hunting down black men and that white women are conspiring with them to do this, that white women conspire with the police to kill black men. So I thought that the police should know that their own government was speaking against them. Wow. Which was really That's such a specific accusation. Yeah, and it's such a betrayal that, you know, Fairfax County police are, of course, employed by the county. And so for the county to be insulting and accusing its own employees like that was really a shock to me. Um, yeah, it's so like one, the, it's, it's like putting down one branch of its own membership, its own people to another branch. It's, yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And I was really surprised by that. And I was also just frankly, really surprised that they would single out white people. Um, one of the articles that they sent us was how to be a better white person in 2020. Hmm. And I was so shocked by that. The, you know, Fairfax County is a very, it's a very, very cosmopolitan county. It's a fun place to live. It was for a while a fun place to work because you work with clients from all over the world. Mm -hmm. So you learn so much. And a lot of your colleagues are from, you know, all different racial backgrounds, all different cultures. And everybody seemed to be getting along just great mm -hmm. until they started this. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was really divisive. And I did ultimately 
leave the county over that. I had already decided before this happened that I was going to leave, but I just moved up my quit date and um, left immediately because I didn't want to so much as click another letter on a keyboard for people that were essentially race, racially harassing their employees. I had mm -hmm. just had enough. So then I went into private practice. Mm -hmm. And while all that was happening, I was reaching out to anybody um, via social media that would listen. Mm -hmm. And I found Helen Plutprose and her assistant um, reached out to me. And then I became involved with Counterweight as a volunteer and then became the peer support lead meeting with people individually to offer support who'd been negatively impacted by critical social justice and also running groups and um, running a volunteer program with wonderful volunteers who were also helping people with this issue. And then Counterweight um, basically kind of changed directions and focused more on um, facilitating conversations and dialogue between the left and the right. Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. when I formed with you and Jody and David formed solid ground so that we could keep up the peer support piece that was no longer being done through counterweight. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what a an interesting, you know, change in your life. I mean, so much has changed from 2020 to now. And my entire life changed really drastically and in some very good ways. Like it what happened at the county led me to go into private practice full-time, which I'd always wanted to do, but, you know, had hesitancy because of course you don't have any, um, you know, you don't have any benefits when you're self-employed. And so that was scary, but ultimately very worth it. Mm -hmm. And I've met the greatest people through counterweight and solid ground that I never would have met if all this hadn't happened. Mm -hmm. um, but man, I still wish this hadn't happened. And I, I mean, I'm glad I left the county. I'm glad I'm in private practice, but I'm still very, you know, disconcerted and upset about what's going on in the yeah. West. Yeah, there's still it's still happening. Even if you get away from it in your immediate workplace, it doesn't change that it's that it's happening. Uh, one yeah. one of the things that really strikes me about your experience is how quickly you rejected the information that was being presented to you. And I know there's a different sort of I mean, everybody sort of does it differently. Some people sit in discomfort with it and aren't sure how to speak up, feel really intimidated by the, by the perceived peer pressure and social setting that they're in where their peers are listening to this and agreeing with it. And other people have, um, you know, it, other people agree with it to some extent and, and don't, and it maybe something feels a little bit off, but they don't, you know, they don't really hate it and they drink it up. Some people agree with it wholeheartedly. Anyway, it's just, we, we all kind of react differently when we're hearing this stuff, but it sounds like you really, you, you had like an instant, oh, hell no kind of response to it. And what was that like? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was livid. I was furious. And I was also so shocked. Um, you know, I had thought this was eventually going to come to my workplace, but I misjudged the timeline. I thought in five to 10 years, this is going to seep into where I work. And <laughs> it did more than seep in. It sort of flooded, I think, aided by the stress and tension of the pandemic and then the unfortunate incident with George Floyd. And it just, it was like a tsunami and, um, 
I had been aware of this stuff building in our culture. And so I had had time to think it through and, um, you know, do my reading and listen to different people talking about it and listening to different opinions. So I already had a really strong opinion about it when this happened. That's really interesting. So you had, you were prepared, you saw this, the writing was on the wall and you, you knew what was coming. And so you had, you weren't caught off guard by this training. I wasn't caught, I wasn't caught off guard except for that. I thought, I thought we had more time Mm. and I really also underestimated how deeply entrenched this way of thinking, the woke way of thinking for lack of a better term had become and how how widespread it was. And that was a very unpleasant um, thing to find out. And when I first read that material, it was so vicious. And so, I mean, it was just these malicious attacks on white people. I, I was actually in a state of physical shock. I was freezing cold. I was shaking and I shook on and off, I think for about two weeks. Oh my gosh. It was really I, visceral. Yeah. I mean, I went, I went public and I, mm-hmm. I went on the attack mm-hmm. um, because in part I found the material so shameful that I wanted to publicly denounce it. I didn't want anybody to think that I would condone such material. It was that hateful. And mm-hmm. I made it very clear in my emails to all of my colleagues that if any group, was under that type of attack, I absolutely would be doing the same thing and denouncing it. And yet for some people that went in one ear and out the other, and they um, said that this was evidence of my white fragility and my guilt about benefiting from a white supremacist society. Mm. And that's when I realized how widespread this was, that this wasn't just fringe people holding these very fringe, strange beliefs that a lot of my colleagues held this belief, held these beliefs. There were also a lot of people who wrote to me and said, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I've been so upset about this. I'm so glad somebody finally spoke out. So there was that, but there were a lot of people who were just horrified that I objected to being absolutely, um, I mean, to me, it was really a form of racial harassment that was happening. Mm -hmm. There are people that were just outraged that anybody would object. You're just supposed to sit there and have terrible things said about you. And you wouldn't ask that of any other group. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it it does sound like it was particularly um, blatant. They weren't trying to be subtle about it in this case. I mean, not that it makes it any better necessarily if they are, but it's just so objectionable. And it sounds like you did get some some positive and negative feedback for for this. for publicizing the information and putting your opinions out there. Was that mostly in the form of email or were you getting calls or how was, how were you getting that feedback? Emails, the people who had nasty things to say sent me poison emails. And then I also received a bunch of emails thanking me and some, some um, telephone calls thanking me. And I had people that, cause it's, you know, it's a huge County. So there were lots of people that I had never met yet that were reaching out to me and thanking me and um, people I've become friends with. There's people there. I have friends that still work there that now speak out anytime something objectionable happens. They question it and they say, you speaking out gave me the courage 
to do this. So I'm very grateful for that. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's really great. So there's this sort of a ripple effect and you feel like people, people saw that courage and, and it made a difference in their own actions. Yeah. I'm really, really grateful for that. I still, you know, I still care about the community services board because it's providing a really important service. Mm -hmm. They serve the chronically severely mentally ill mm -hmm. and people with addictions in Fairfax County. And a lot of those people don't have access to other services because of their financial situation. And so it's an integral part of the community and I want it to be successful because I think their mission is so important. And so I don't want it to sort of devolve into this hostile work environment for the employees mm -hmm. and to have hostility towards certain clients on the basis of their race. I don't want to see that happen. That was, that's something I was wondering about is what, what were the implications or, or the attend, intended or unintended effects of putting this kind of way of thinking out, was this in order to train county employees on how to view their clients or themselves? Or what was the, what do you think was the point and what do you think the, the implications of it are? I had that same question. And I asked that in my email, is this how we want to see one another? And is this how, the type of thinking we want to offer to our clients? I mean, do we want to create a culture in which we're now evaluating our clients on the basis of race and trying to indoctrinate our clients into a particular way of thinking. Oh, if you're black, well, you've been oppressed and this is probably contributing to all of your problems. And if you're white, you know, you need to realize what you've been doing that's harming other people. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think it cre does create that culture and I don't know if that was their intent. I, I honestly have a hard time wrapping my mind around it still. And I think what they would say is, well, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to have equity, which equity to me is a poisonous word because it doesn't mean equal opportunity. It means equal outcomes. And we've never had a society where there's equal outcomes. You're not going to have equal outcomes. I would like better outcomes for each individual. Absolutely. But they just sort of went equity mad and seemed to adopt the type of, um, you know, critical race theory orientation that the only way to get these equal outcomes would be to attack white people, to target them, um, and to say that they've been the cause of negative outcomes for other groups. Which of course doesn't explain why there's all these other groups in the United States that out earn white people. <laughs> Yeah, There's it's it it's it's so overly simple. Mm -hmm. And if you have a bunch of people that you're serving through the county who fit this vilified category, who are these white people, how is it helpful to do anything that desensitizes your social workers to the needs and the feelings of those people? How is that not just <clears throat> just horrible? It's horribly dehumanizing. It, it really is. I, I think it's, um, you know, I think it has the potential to lead to abuse mm -hmm. within the therapeutic relationship. And that frightens me. And I did speak to um, somebody through counterweight who had a very, very severe 
history of trauma and she went to a therapist and you know it can be quite terrifying to go to a therapist and discuss trauma and it takes a lot of bravery to do it and she went and she is a white person and she was told by the therapist um, essentially that she needed to check her privilege because although she had trauma if she was a black person her trauma would have been much worse oh my gosh wow can, can you, you imagine? imagine no hearing that I mean that person really it took a lot for her to be vulnerable and share that and having that response I can imagine would make it harder for her to share in the future it would just sort of re-traumatize her to have that experience invalidated that way yeah I really I really find that to be extraordinarily harmful and dangerous and abusive and so I really I really object to this ideology coming into the therapeutic space. Mm -hmm. I don't think it has any place whatsoever. Yeah. And, and so you, you were able to work with these people and one-on-one um, -on -one sort of talk through the experience that they had, I, we're jumping now over to counterweight when you were working yeah. with people who had been on the receiving end of that kind of, um, I don't know, I don't, it's hard to even call it therapy, but that kind of experience in a therapeutic or torment, we'll just yes. call it. <laughs> that kind of torment. Yeah. I met a few people who told me, mm -hmm. um, that they had been seeking therapy for various different issues and couldn't find a non-woke therapist who mm. didn't inject this ideology into their sessions. Wow. And um, somebody who, for example, and this is not the first time I've heard this either. Um, I've read about this other places, somebody who went to a group for women who had suffered from domestic violence, rape, that type of abuse, mm -hmm. only to find that men who considered themselves to be trans women were permitted in these groups. Oh, wow. So very not only with the race, but also with some of the gender issues you were seeing that come up. Okay. Yeah. And that is just often too frightening mm -hmm. for a woman who's been a victim of domestic violence or, mm -hmm. um, or has survived rape to sit next to you know, a six foot two guy in a wig with lipstick can be quite upsetting. That's really mm -hmm. not the space mm -hmm. for that. And if mm -hmm. they object and say, you know, I, I don't feel quite safe with this, well, then they're a transphobe. So their trauma is discounted. Mm -hmm. Well, and I can imagine an entire spectrum of sincerity on the part of the, the trans woman, right? Like all the way from a man who's trying to, you know, harass women or has his own intentions for doing this that are malicious all the way down to a person who is sincerely holding this identity and and really just seeking help so it's this entire spectrum but you're not allowed to question that it seems like that's the thing that that we're hearing is that you're not allowed to say i question the sincerity and i think this is a predator it's just yeah. if if they say so they say so and i know we, right. just, we just took a giant turn <laughs> in terms of arc here but this stuff kind of does that right all this ideology yeah. it's like you think about one thing and then you find oh my gosh it's, it's a bridge to this it's just all kind of interwoven it's a giant tangled mess it's so true it's so true 
and yet all related at, yeah. you know, the center of the tangle. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you a, a little bit more about is going back to when you put out that information about the county, you put out your your thoughts about it and the training materials, and you were starting to get feedback from people saying, wow, thanks for sharing this, and, um, and or, oh my gosh, your uh, white fragility is whatever. So what was it like for you to get the, the, um, the harsh comments? What was, what was that experience like? Did it roll off? Did it, did it sink in? How did you feel when you were receiving the criticism? I didn't feel hurt personally at all because I, (laughs) I just think it's, these are such preposterous ideas that I don't really care what people who think like that think of me. I really don't. I feel like you're holding absolutely reprehensible, disgusting ideas. You're the one who's on the side of making vast generalizations about people on the basis of race and discriminating and persecuting people on the basis of race. So what you're thinking is already completely indefensible. Therefore, I really don't care what you think. So no, personally, uh-uh, it doesn't hurt my feelings, but what did bother me, and it was more of like a chilling thing was, oh my God, like, it's like that movie, The Stepford Wives, where you find out so many people have bought into this and it would just freak me out. I was like, oh my God, they got to you too. And it just, I mean, that was part of the the shaking that was happening. Okay. So this was like when you'd see the names of people that you knew who would pop up or, or just the number, it was a sheer number. I think most of the people that wrote to me, um, sent me nasty grams. I had not met some of their names I recognized, but I hadn't met them because it was such a huge County, but, um, it was just the number of them. And, oh, also it was the fact that all of them use the exact same language. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, oh, difficult conversations, unprivileged, and all of them are reading from the same, you know, shallow thinking little playbook. And it just seemed like I was being, um, like I was being pursued by these woke zombies, you know, <laughs> language. And, and it, that just makes it even harder to reason with them because it's like they've memorized all these catchphrases and they believe this and they believe that they're good people for believing this. And I just feel like you're wasting your time talking to them. That's such a good point about the same language that it really does seem like you could speak woke very easily just by uttering, a, you know, like a handful of, of bumper sticker, like snarky sayings. And that's all you need. So I see what you mean about that. Yeah. Yeah. If I, yeah, if I had no personal ethics, I could be really rich right now because I like meeting people. I love talking to people. I could be a DEI grifter really easily. Uh, no, I do not want to spread this crap. Yeah. Well, maybe we need to put together a, um, a deprogramming service. (laughs) Yeah, you know, there's a that that I read about. This girl came back from college, completely um, brainwashed into the woke ideology, and was completely hateful towards her parents. And they actually hired a deprogrammer. 
and she has now written about it. I, can't, I wish I could remember her name. But yeah, they deprogrammed just like you deprogram with somebody that's been in a cult. And I do really think that this takes the form of a cult. Mm -hmm. I can, I'm just picturing like a clockwork orange, like holding you down and like your eyes are like back and you're watching like Tim Pool and Joe Rogan and you're just forced to sit there and it's Blair White, you know, talking or <laughs> sorry. Oh my gosh. I'm sure that's not. <laughs> I'm sure that's not what they do. <laughs> yeah, but um that's yeah, that's it's interesting the the language thing. I um I try not to use the woke words when I'm I, and again woke, I mean even that word right there, I I hear myself saying it, and I almost want to just like apologize for it immediately because again it's sort of we just we're speaking in these overly simple Right. Um, like it's like speaking sloganese instead of you know really fleshing our thoughts out and it and is. I think it's become sort of a convenient catch-all and it's very it's very ironic to me that the word is woke mm -hmm. because these people are asleep as far as <laughs> yeah yeah and it and it also it's this past tense like woke like I did that I I woke to this thing and I didn't, I don't ever have to learn anything else. I don't ever have to do any more work, any more learning. It's done. And, mm -hmm. and the irony there to, to me is like this concept of race, the, the white fragility and the white, um, the fighting against whiteness, the anti-racism it's, there's not a point at which the, the good white person get some stamp of approval and can move through the world again it's not it's not check your privilege figure it out own up to whatever you know majority privilege or whatever you've you supposedly have and then you can be absolved and you can move through the world again as a good person and you can feel good about yourself it's it's a perpetual just just hate yourself now just give up and hate yourself yeah, it's a sort of religion that doesn't offer any form of absolution. All you can do is be an ally or an accomplice and mm -hmm. live your life basically as a sort of white person apology tour and allow yourself to be denigrated and verbally abused, to have all kinds of allegations thrown at you and to basically say, thank you, sir, may I please have another? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that seems to be what advocates of this way of thinking want. There was even an article um, that they posted on the website of the county that said, our work isn't done until Black people tell us it's done. Mm. So the whole framework is we are to look to Black people. But which Black people? Mm -hmm, to which tell us <laughs> yeah. what to do. Like any white person should you know, defer to the expertise of a black person who's automatically an expert because they're black and you are automatically guilty because you're white. Mm -hmm. What could go wrong? <laughs> yeah. And it really does beg the question, which black people are we supposed to be listening to? Because there's, there, it creates a monolith of white and black. Like we're just, it, this is how white people think. This is how black people think. And that's, 
that couldn't be further from the truth. It's just, it's silly. It's, we learned different in elementary school. I mean, that's you know, right. it's the most basic thing about people that we learn is that you can't judge. You don't know anything of substance about a person's personality experiences, character by looking at their skin. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And they don't mean when they say black people, they don't mean Candace Owens or <laughs> elder Thomas soul. That's for certain. No, <laughs> no. So just over the whole arc of this experience for you, it, it sounds like you had been culturally aware of this, this thing rumbling throughout the culture. You'd been up on it. You were aware. And then, but it, when it hit your County, when it hit your workplace, it hit hard and it was really sudden and really strong like it was just like a zero to 60 here's this this yeah. this new stuff we're gonna think like this now and you better get on board and you sort of had an instant just like a like a every everything in you rejected this and you came out with that very strongly spoke against it publicly yeah got some backlash got some support but the it sounds like the backlash didn't really like there was an impact that it had on you. It was kind of shocking to see people really um, so taken by this and how many people were so taken by it. But you you weathered that storm pretty well and it didn't make you feel terrible about yourself that you were speaking up in a peer pressure situation. And you've, you've moved on and you've been able to not only salvage your career, but make a step that you'd always wanted to make. You just had to do it more suddenly but you're you're doing well you're you ha are happy in your private practice and you have been able to put some work into helping other people around these issues that you're really passionate about so it seems like speaking out about this was a really was pivotal for you and has has been a largely positive experience yeah, it really was. You know, Jordan Peterson says something about when you don't, like when you don't speak out, you kill the unborn. When you don't tell the truth, you kill the unborn self. And I think it's oh, wow. true because when I spoke out, all of these people who, you know, I didn't know, um, I didn't know well, reached out to me and then you know, I met people like yourself and Jody and just all kinds of wonderful people. All the, you know, the counterweight members are wonderful people. The solid ground members are wonderful people. I never would have met all those people if I hadn't just decided to mm -hmm. speak out about this. Mm -hmm. So it has, it has been absolutely wonderful for me. Um, but I also think everybody's situation is unique and they really need to take into consideration mm -hmm. what they hope to gain if they decide to speak out, how they want to do that, and what are the potential consequences and are they in a position where they're able to absorb those consequences. Mm -hmm. I was in a position where I could. Um, and some, you know, some people are not, I had people write to me and say, I really want to do something about this. I really would like to speak out. You know, I'm a single mom. I have two kids. I can't lose my job. I can't lose my health insurance. 
And I think that's also a very understandable position. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. It is understandable that it's everybody's in their own place. Everybody's circumstances are unique. So there's not one. I, it, it's overly simple again, just the, the idea of like distilling people down to one set of actions or one set of thoughts or any of that. We can't, we can't generalize. I, I will say your, um, your sort of formula for analysis of this was really helpful to me when we were oh. meeting. Yeah. Because we've been talking since I basically almost since I started the program at Antioch, I've, we, we met not that long after that, I guess, um, within the first year after that anyway. And you were really helpful to me in, you know, sitting with me and helping me clarify my goals. And what was I, what was I going to do if I, if I did blow up this, <laughs> this opportunity to finish this program, if I really couldn't bear it anymore. So talking with you is really helpful. And, um, and I, I can imagine that it's been helpful to the other people that you've been working with as well. Yeah, I hope so. And I, I think, you know, I like people, I like to help people think through what their options are. And um, I also just really like offering support to people who are concerned about critical social justice and what it's doing in their life. And um, I don't think anybody should have to be alone in this. It's already a profoundly isolating experience to be in a workplace or a school, you know, where this is happening and you feel like, oh my gosh, everybody around me is going along with this. Am I going crazy? And to meet other people that share those concerns and just where you can speak freely without the constant self-censoring and the fears that people are going to twist something you say and accuse mm -hmm. you of something just to be able to speak freely and think freely is, is wonderful. And so I'm, I love that, you know, solid ground gives us the chance to offer that to people. Mm -hmm. I love that too. And I hear that a lot. I, I feel like I've come to take it for granted because I've been doing it for so long now, you know, just talking really openly about, and I have in my, my local community, as well as our, um, our groups um, have the freedom to, to say what I think about things. And I don't have, I don't, I'm not in a position where I'm having to censor myself, but I'm reminded of that frequently when I meet a new person and you just see the relief flood over them that they're in a space where they can really talk. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful. And I'm, I'm really grateful to be able to hold that space for people. And I get a lot out of it myself and the people are awesome. The people yeah. that come <laughs> groups are, they're awesome. They're really nice and they're smart and they're independent thinkers. They just seem to have all the qualities that I've always admired in people. So I'm really enjoying meeting that type of person. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Before we wrap up, is there anything that you feel like you want to say that you didn't say or mm. highlight or any resources that you'd like to direct people to? Ah, um, well, direct people to solid ground so that they can, um, they can join our groups if they like. It's just $5 a month if you join locals. So is it locals, Jody shot locals.com, I think to join. I think so, but you can find it through the website, which is solid ground support. Is it.com or.org? I'll I put it in the, it's com. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'll put the link below too. So yeah. 
it's worth it. It's, it's just $5 a month. And then you can um, post things on our locals. We chat back and forth on there. People post interesting articles and then that gives you free access to the groups. And we have groups running several times a week. Mm -hmm. So um, there should be a group that meets your schedule and you can come to all of the groups. You can float in and out of different groups, try different groups. Um, we're busy <laughs> doing this. So there's, there's plenty of groups and it's, um, it's just great. Absolutely. Any other final thoughts? That's it. That's it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I really enjoyed getting to talk with you and um, I hope people will join us for some of our live streams because those are really fun. And, and I, I think we always end up having entertaining and interesting conversations about, at least we find them interesting. <laughs> We're having a good time <laughs> and there's so much to talk about. And I think that one of the things that I really appreciate um, that I feel like you bring, you have such a good sense of humor and you're so plain spoken. And I love that you're just not afraid to say it when you, when you see it, you just call it like you see it. And I, I love that because it, it, the levity and the ability to mock some of this stuff, <laughs> I think it's so valuable because we live in a time when people just take everything so seriously. And, and there is a reason for that. I mean, there's, things are stressful in a lot of ways, but we can still find humor. And, and I love that you, um, you really bring that out. So oh, thank you. Yeah. I feel like if I don't laugh, I'm going to go completely crazy. So I see the, I just see the humor in it and the, you know, critical social justice and all of people's behavior around that just lends itself to parody so beautifully. It's pretty low hanging fruit. <laughs> well said. Yes. Well, thank you again so much, Jennifer. And I look forward to seeing you Monday. Yeah. Okay. Take care. Okay. You too.